You can feed yourself. You can wipe your ass. Done. Go off Go into the, the world. world. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Well Shit. It really is that simple. I'm Claire. And I'm Serena. On this podcast, we help you to understand about your 12 universal needs, why they are currently not being well met, how to meet them in ways that work for you, and how to consistently do so in quick, easy, and simple ways that fit seamlessly into your life. We'll also help you to understand how doing so will have a positive ripple effect in literally every area of your life. If you like what you hear, please support us on Patreon. And enjoy the show. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, everyone. So do you notice anything different today? I'm trying everything not to talk about my <laughs> We had a conversation before we got on about her hair and how Larry is the topic of everything. Your hair looks gorgeous. <laughs> Thank you. I got, it was so funny. Like she, when she, she cut the back, if you're not on the video, I've had my hair cut. Um, and um, she cut the back and I was like, oh my God, my head feels so light. Like, because I have very fine hair, but I have a lot of it. So it gets super heavy. And I'm like, I can move my head again. The funnest thing is when you get your hair cut short and like, I do the same thing. I let it get to like a certain, like, just below the shoulder length mm-hmm. and then I get to the point where I'm like I'm just gonna cut it off usually I try to do that myself which hit or miss mm-hmm. hit or miss I've been scolded by some hairdressers and then some have been like actually I didn't fuck this up that bad like, <laughs> good for you but my favorite thing is when you put it up into the first ponytail right? and it's like Pebbles Flintstone right. it's like all cute and bobby I'm like I feel like I'm 12 again right but also it's like it's funny because someone said to me the other day like why are you getting your hair cut you always wear your hair in a bun and I'm like the reason I always wear my hair in a bun is because it's too long now if I put it in a ponytail it's gonna stroke my neck and irritate it like just being able to put it up and not have it touch my neck I'm like yes that's like um we mentioned my best friend Melissa mm. a lot she she has a lot of a lot of hair like oh, her yeah. hair is big and thick and she always has it in this like messy bun and it looks fairly small and then she takes it down and it's like this it's like Rapunzel it really is it's like this beautiful <laughs> Rapunzel yeah. wavy hair and people are like why like why do you keep that up she's like do you know how heavy this is and how hot this right? is and like <laughs> Hair is a beautiful thing, but it can be a bitch. <laughs> it's like, and now, like, I, I just, I love it when it's at this stage because it's all, like, flicky and fun. And I'm like, I'm just going to play with it a lot. Like, <laughs> yeah, so I'm, 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 I'm super happy that I finally got my hair cut. Play away. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah? Yes. Today, we're talking about something really important. Like, really important. Like, we talk about a lot of really important <laughs> things. I was say, like, we talk about a lot not, of really important it's like, things. It's not like the other things we don't talk, we, we talk about aren't important. The other things we don't talk about aren't important. Yeah, you know. You know what I mean. It's not the other things aren't important, but this is something that I see so often in so many people. I've seen it in so many clients. I've It's something that I used to do myself a lot. Um, and that is people pleasing. Mm-hmm. So this is the first of our episode, first episode in our series about people pleasing. We're going to do three of these. And today we're just doing kind of a general, um, like, what is the root of people pleasing? Like, where does it come from? 
And I think that it's really important for us to recognize that all of our patterns really about around our needs come from two main places. The first and most important place and the most um, influential place that I think most of our needs come from is childhood. So it's like, how were our needs met in childhood and how have we carried those same patterns around our needs into adulthood? Because unless somebody taught you, hey, these are your needs and here's how to go about meeting them. If somebody did, let me know. I'd kind of like to know about that person (laughs) because I think they and I might have something to talk about. Um, um, But unless somebody has done that, we're going to continue with those same patterns because that's what we've learned in childhood and we're just going to continue on. Um, And so that's obviously the most, probably one of the most influential things is like what were the patterns in childhood and... um, Especially, go ahead. I was going to say how how you got your needs met in childhood, how in childhood, mm-hmm. and how you didn't get your needs met right. in childhood when somebody else should have been at the very least letting you know, a hey, you have these needs, and here are some of the ways to do it for yourself. Well, I know. Bef- I mean, I'm going even before that. I'm going to step even before that and say actually, somebody had responsibility for meeting your needs for you when you were a child. Mm-hmm. Like that is, we we do not have the capacity to meet our needs as children, and it's part of the responsibility of uh, a parent or guardian to in to make to meet our needs for us, even if they don't then teach us about how to do this for ourselves. Um, the reason they don't do that is because most of them haven't got a clue about that themselves. That's the reason that that doesn't tend to shift. You can feed yourself. You can wipe your ass. Done. Go off go into out the, the world. world. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, happens a lot. Pretty much like that. Um, and so one of the, the um, this especially, this is especially important. Um, you good? Don't, don't <laughs> mind the person behind the curtain. I keep hitting the, I keep hitting our cords that are, it's, no, it's right. I just the cord was moving, and I was trying to hear if because I thought there was a sound of the cord moving, even though you'd stopped touching it. And I'm oh. like, do we need to move this? No, we're good. We're good. <laughs> Technical difficulties, my friends. I think that's what they call a picnic, um, or it was what we used to call a picnic when I used to work in IT. Problem in chair, not in computer. Interesting. I've never heard that <laughs> one before. A lot of IT issues are picnics. I'm just going to say, as somebody mm. who worked in IT support for a long time, yeah. Nothing to do um, with the actual IT. Yeah, exactly. The technology's <laughs> fine. It's the, the user error. Um, I think that's the uh, the issue. But are we, are we good? Is the user good? Oh, I'm still in error, but I'm not <laughs> touching the cords anymore. So we can conti- continue. I'm going to be really like, like you're not an error. You may make errors on occasion. Let's deal with this at the behavior level, not at the identity level. We've talked about this before. Like, <laughs> And if you haven't heard the episodes we've talked about this, there are different levels of um, uh, when you're looking to change behaviors, to change uh, make changes. There are different levels at which you can do that. Um, the behavior level is one level, and then you've got the... Um, belief level and then you've got the value level and then you've got the identity level um so Serena's saying I am an error that's identity level and that's not really easy to change and <laughs> and as we I mean you watch us go through a lot of stuff like live on the, live on the <laughs> podcast like struggling with identifying myself as something and like that's something I still struggle with and yeah Claire's like is that is that what you mean and most of the, I mean I don't think there's ever been a time where I'm like yeah, yeah, that's, that's what, what I mean. mean. Yeah. It's like, uh, oh, so thank you for that. Because, yes, I am not an error. I'm not in we, we, error. We, we, am... We're both human, so we, we err frequently. <laughs> <laughs> like, we, we make plenty of errors, but we are not errors. I, I erred this morning, or erred, or however you pronounce it, with a smaller coffee than I should have. Oh, yeah, that's... <laughs> 
that's an that's an uh yeah, <laughs> that's an oops it's <laughs> a lot of things um, now back to the regularly scheduled program exactly um so one of the things that tends to um affect this a lot is where we've experienced trauma in childhood now most people think of this as being this big like monumental tragedy that's happened in our childhood. But I, if you, actually, if you go back to our, I think it's the first episode of our Guilt and Shame series, we talk about what trauma is. And trauma is actually about our needs being negatively impacted. And you can have slight traumas, you can have significant traumas, you can have severe traumas, you can have traumas that are in the moment or that they happen over a period of time. So basically any time in which your needs were compromised was a trauma. And I don't know any child that hasn't had their needs compromised at some point in time, at some point in time. Not because the parent didn't want to meet the needs, but sometimes they didn't know how to meet the needs or didn't know which needs needed to be met or they didn't understand about needs because of how they were raised. So like there's a lot um, that kind of adds to this, but the traumas that we experienced in childhood, which we all have, um, some to obviously to varying its extents, but we all have those traumas, and it's how those traumas have also shaped our relationship to our needs that can affect people pleasing. And um, the other thing is that when we are like when you look outside of the childhood um, situation, we can also look at other traumas that happen. So significant traumas that have happened in life, and I mean that significant as in like substantial traumas, not our definition of a significant trauma. Um, but any kind of um, substantial trauma that we experience, especially if it is a severe trauma, and especially if it is as a sustained trauma, that also could affect our um, people pleasing tendencies. There are different things that we will do. This is one of the ways that we cope with these trauma situations. But for example, I'm thinking if you have a trigger warning, just going to mention about domestic abuse for a second, um, that um, if you have been in a domestic abuse situation, um, sometimes people pleasing is one of the ways that you cope with being in that situation in order to stay safe within the context of that situation. Um, I know that from my own personal experience that that's one of the things that I did. There was a lot of people pleasing that happened and it wasn't necessarily about my physical safety, although there were occasions where that came up. It was more about my emotional safety. Um, and when you're in that close proximity with that one person for those periods of time and that those kind of dynamics are playing out, um, then that people please, if you've listened to the episodes where I've shared about uh, my lovely friend Jen, who came to stay with us and basically on the way back to the airport said to me, can you do me a favor? And I was like, sure. And she was like, can you please stop minimizing and compromising everything you are so as not to make him angry? I was like, oh, okay. Uh, sure please say more um because I didn't realize I was doing it because it happened so gradually over time but people pleasing that that I'm going to minimize myself I'm not going to I'm going to take on the blame of something that's going on so that I don't hold you accountable when it's actually your mistake that that kind of people pleasing dynamic can often stem from an adult trauma as well so trauma very 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 significant very influential in childhood but also if we have a substantial childhood a trauma in substantial childhood in adulthood <laughs> if we have a substantial trauma in adulthood it can also lead to these people pleasing um, behaviors so people pleasing people pleasing my goodness i'm gonna have to get my, my mouth around this people pleasing it's a little bit of a mouthful um is just one of the ways that we cope with these traumatic situations there's various others in terms of um self-soothing in terms of um addictive tendencies in, in terms of um 
um, sometimes uh, the control um, the control thing that we like would like trying to control everything that is another way that we try to cope with these situations so this is just one of them but it is a very common one and so often what what the kind of the root of this especially when it comes to childhood but also in these kind of adult situations is that what ends up happening is that where our needs are compromised where we have these trauma where our needs are compromised we learn that the nicer that we are to other people the more that we are who other people want us to be the more we show up in a way that that fits for other people that suits other people that makes other people happy that those other people tend to respond to us in a way that feels good basically what's happening is that what we're learning is in an absence in the absence of knowing how to meet these needs for ourselves what can end up happening is that we learn that by being nicer to other people and prioritizing other people and what they need is that they actually meet our needs we don't we're not consciously aware of it they do things that mean and sometimes it's not even that they meet our needs they do things that stop our needs from being compromised as much as they were previously let's let's kind of a lot of times it, it makes it, it kind of a a more desirable just energy and situation to be in mm-hmm. because they're happy, which means hopefully you're not unhappy. But sometimes when we're doing things like people pleasing, we don't even realize where it's compromising our needs right. to please these Somebody people else. to make the situation or um, just environment yeah. more easygoing. And for that moment, it might do it. And then you could take a step back or go home or be away from that person and be like, well, well actually, that didn't right. even feel good. Right. Like, <laughs> So when we talk about needs being met, like when we talk about the way of meeting needs, we talk about on a spectrum that we kind of put on a kind of left-right spectrum where we've got red spectrum ways of meeting needs at one end, we've got green spectrum ways of meeting needs at the other end, and the way of meeting needs sits somewhere on that spectrum. When we talk about individual needs being met or unmet, we tend to do it on a kind of vertical axis where we imagine, and we've talked about this before, that, that the need being neither met nor unmet is the kind of ground level. The need being compromised negatively and in, negatively impacted and being unmet is us kind of sinking down into a hole and our needs being met is about us kind of climbing a ladder so it's like we we kind of get um um more um awareness of what's going on we've got more resources etc etc so as i said so often what ends up happening is that if we're nice to other people what might end up happening is that they're responding to us in a way which means that we're not as far in the hole as we were that doesn't mean to say that we're on the ladder it doesn't mean to say our needs are met it just means they're not as compromised as they were i mean maybe we just get to the um the ground level but truth be honest um in my experience of doing dealing with this with many many people very rarely is somebody else meeting your needs because you're people pleasing them actually getting you to a ground level it's just not as compromised as it was or they're not throwing dirt on you in the hole in the hole exactly <laughs> they're not compromising you further in the hole and that may be what and that's often when when we kind of talk about these childhood traumas if we had um a, a parent for example who was um abusive or who was um unkind or who who was unpleasant um then what might what that person what the child might learn is that well if i'm the if i'm the perfect child if i'm the child that does all the things that this this parent wants me to do then they're not as abusive that they are not as mean that they're not as unkind so it doesn't mean to say that they're they're they're, they're supportive it doesn't mean to say that they're actually meeting those needs they're just not as compromised as they were show ahead go ahead I'm trying the hand raising thing. Okay. That's like, this is new. I'm like, are we in a classroom? Did I not realize? <laughs> so I'm like, I, I have something to say. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> as Claire is saying this, there's also another um, 
trauma that I kind of want to bring into this in this, you know, the child trying to please the parent if I'm the perfect child and mm-hmm. from an abusive situation or um, with the examples that Claire just gave. Another one is for an absentee parent. As right. a child who grew up in a divorced family, I had one parent that was everything. Mm-hmm. The mom, the dad, the the soup, the, the nuts, the weird uncle, the, like all, all the above. <laughs> yeah, she really was. Right? <laughs> I mean, that wasn't me being mean. That no, was a legitimate like... suggestion. <laughs> and I've seen that before, and I've seen the weird uncle be my weird mom. Yeah, it's another story for another time. Yeah. <laughs> but I was a people pleaser, and I was a people pleaser until kind of recently oh yeah (laughs) I still struggle with it where I'm like what am I doing oh no 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 we don't do that anymore (laughs) um I still sometimes reflect and I'm like oh shit oh yeah well I see what I did there but a lot of it as you're talking I'm like wow a lot of my people pleasing was like maybe if I'm good enough he'll come back maybe Mm -hmm. if I'm good enough he'll give me the attention maybe if I'm perfect he won't be such a shithead right like all of these things and it wasn't that the trauma and the, the, he is the absentee parent that he is the absentee parent to. yes yeah. um and those were kind of like in the grand scheme of what as an adult you think of you become aware of what tra- childhood traumas could look like mm-hmm. like the situations that you weren't even aware happened in other families mm-hmm. and i never really thought of those as traumatic situations until I started doing this work. I'm like, holy shit, he fucked me up. <laughs> right? Because well, and actually there's another example. Do you want to add any more before no. I jump in? No. There's another example. And this is the thing is that when we talk about traumas, like it's very important to kind of look at this through the definitions that we speak to. So any situation in which your needs are being compromised negatively, any situation, no matter how slight, mm-hmm. um, was a trauma. Now, if we've only had one or two slight traumas in our childhood, very, very rare, just saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we've only had one or two, then it's not going to have affected us and our relationship to our needs as much. But there are other sorts of traumas that also come in with, with parents who are quote unquote good parents who are doing the best. And a lot of these, this is not coming from a, um, this is not only, a, this is, does not only apply to absentee deadbeat parents who mm-hmm. don't show up or who are, are like actively explicitly abusive there could be examples for example parents who have very high standards for their children because they believe that their child being perfect is what they, needs to happen in order for them to succeed in the world so they think that by having these high standards that they are supporting their children in getting their needs met sorry i just realized that my notifications are still on yeah, and what that Hold does... No, my notifications aren't on, so I don't know why they just popped up, but okay. Um, sorry, I just wanted to add before I, before we kind of move on from that, is that a lot of the time what they're doing is that they're having these high standards to try to support the child in having the life they want them to have, which is so quote-unquote successful, not our definition of success, important to say that, quote-unquote happy, not our definition of happiness. Uh, And when I say our definition, I mean as in the universal needs definition. Um, And what ends up happening is that 
to try to create that perfection in the child, they compromise other needs that the child has because they don't see them as important because maybe they weren't needs, they were needs that they didn't have met. So they haven't realized what is missing. They've not realized how compromised they are because those needs haven't been met. So when we talk about emotional needs, when we talk about acknowledgement, when we talk about the value needs, and this is the thing is that what ends up happening when you have a, ch- when you have a parent who has super high standards is that the, the message that the child often gets is you are not good enough which in and of itself compromises one of our really important needs which is the value need and that's when you end up in this in these sort of cycles um i can kind of talk to both sides of this which is interesting Interesting, yeah because i also had my mom who was great and she did what she could with what she had and Mm -hmm. made it work and there was, I, I was driven. I was very driven as a child. I was mm-hmm. very driven as an early adult. I'm still driven, but my motivation is much different because I'm driven from within. Mm-hmm. But for the longest time, that drive that was instilled with me in me, the good grades, like the things that are good for kids, the things you want to promote. Actually, the things that are culturally believed to be good for kids. Not necessarily the things that are good for kids. Yes. Just wanting to add that. (laughs) And the pressures that I had were different. I know um, parents who, like the good grades and those things, like they were Mm -hmm. focused and it was, you know, kind of drilled drilled into them that this is what it was. Mine was very kind of low key, but there was definitely this this need Mm -hmm. to have this drive and not just it. Yes, I wanted to be successful, but it was also like there was a motivation from behind that wasn't my own. And mm-hmm. that was a people pleasing aspect of me. That's like, I have to be successful to make this person happy, not because that's what is the drive that's inside of me. Yes. And that's, you know, yeah. it. I want to say because people could be listening to this and parents be like, oh, shit, I'm traumatizing my kids or adults realizing, oh, wow, I experienced some trauma. Mm -hmm. And it kind of reminds me of when parents are like, oh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to fuck my kid up. And it's like, it's not if you fuck your kid up, it's when. When is how. (laughs) And how. And it's like, this is something that's going to happen because not everybody knows how to meet their needs. They don't know how to do it in ways that are effective. A lot of people don't know that needs are a thing that need to be met. And And they don't know about their child's needs and how to meet those needs and the ways to do it. teach them to do it. Mm -hmm. And so all of those things, I want to remind everybody to be gentle, to be gentle processing this information because it's not a... um, like a, um, I want to say like it's not a negative, but that's um, it's. I'm gonna yeah. It's I. I don't. I don't necessarily agree that it's not a negative. I think that it is part of being human, and I think that that's thing. I remember having a conversation with my mom once about um, the mistakes that that um, quote unquote mistakes that she perceived that she'd made as a uh, mother. We actually talked about one on a recent um, episode about the whole Christmas. Uh, grandparents and not being able to ride my bike on Christmas day. And I said to her, I was like, the thing about it is, is that I don't use necessarily quite this terminology, but I'm like every generation fucks up. Mm -hmm. And basically what happens is the next generation tries to make right the fuck ups that the previous generation made. And they're going to make a whole bunch of different ones. And then the next generation will try and figure out the next one. Like it's, it's an iterative process. We learn like generationally and all we're doing this. and, And most people didn't know about this. So 
you couldn't have done something about this if you didn't know it. But if you're looking at listening to this now going, oh my goodness, I'm screwing up my kids. You're listening to it. You're learning about it now. The fact that you are learning about it now and the thing that I've seen with so many clients is like all of a sudden their children shift massively mm-hmm. when they start doing this work because they learn more from what we do than what we say. And all of a sudden they have a new role model for what it is to be meeting your own needs. And that is a game changer. So I like just give yourself a little pat on the back if you're listening. And if you're recognizing that you experienced these traumas, you're not alone because the vast, 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 vast majority of us did, not because our parents were intending to do harm, they just didn't know any differently. And they were better than the parenting they had received for the most part. There were some who kind of passed on like continued generational uh, mistakes. Um, but a lot of them, they're just doing better than the pre- than what they had. Um, and that's what we're doing is we're all learning to do better than what we had. And it's okay to process those traumas and still love your parents because I know my parents did the best job they could and I love them dearly. Um, were there things I would have done differently with what I know now? Yeah, absolutely. Would I have known those things with what with the, their experiences? Probably not. So it's like, I, it's, we, we're always on this kind of constant learning curve and improvement curve. And identifying with the traumas that happened when you were younger, like that has helped me so much in my process like once my Uh, identifying them and processing them i think is important to say um my father has since passed and before he passed we were we were okay because Mm -hmm. i wasn't holding on to the the traumas of my past and it's like all right like Mm -hmm. it really you know it's possible so we don't want you to think like oh all this stuff has happened you can you can process it within yourself and then and i've talked about it with respect to my relationship with my grandfather Mm -hmm. like you can get to a point where it's no longer negatively impacting your current existence, but you do have to heal it. You do mm-hmm. have to go back and, and acknowledge this is what happened and here's how here's how I got to where I am and this is this is where I'm at now and now I've got to process what's happened in order that I can heal and move forward and not take these, these wounds with me. So I think that one of the things that's really important to kind of say around this is that one of the needs that is really um oh there's there was one other thing i wanted to to talk about in terms of we were talking about the the value need and um, parents having high standards there's a flip side to that and the flip side to that is sometimes parents not having high standards as in believing that their child will not do well i um i've had experiences where i've known people in my life where the parents haven't believed that they're going to do well they have and they have quote unquote, succeeded in the things that they've done kind of in spite of that. But even if like, irrespect, the interesting thing is these are two sides of the same coin and the two sides of the coin, which is really very, very um, pivotal for most people when it comes to people pleasing. And that is the value need. So if the standards are too high, then the belief is that I'm not good enough and there's no way I'll ever be good enough to hit that standard. If the standards are too low, the belief is, well, I'm not good enough because they don't believe I'm good enough. So sometimes people won't actually uh, strive for what they want. They'll, they'll, They'll meet the expectations that other people have of them, which are also very low. But outside of that, a lot of the time what ends up happening is that we internalize these traumas that we experience as children as being because of how children relate to the world and how uh, for a lot of children everything that happens in their world is is because of them because they don't have this concept of how big the world is and how other people are human beings and have their own that we're, e- we're each the lead character in our own kind of movie of life kind of thing i mean most children 
what will end up happening is that they see their parents as being perfect. They know everything, they have all the answers because in their world, that's how it seems. So it wouldn't occur to a child that their parents are doing something wrong and that they're making a mistake. What often happens is that these things, no matter how big or small, get internalized as there's something wrong with me. There's something broken in me. I'm not good enough. And I'm the reason that this thing keeps happening to me. And if you think about the amount of, uh, like we hear about when uh, a lot of children, if their parents get divorced, they blame themselves for the divorce, even if they've got nothing to do with it, because in their world, they're the most important thing in their world. So they think, well, it must be something I've done because then they don't have an awareness of all the other things, the other contributing factors that are affecting a divorce. How are these two perfect people that yes. are my people now doing something that doesn't seem perfect to me, not right. realizing what adulting is really like and Absolutely. what could actually be going on because their world is is what you're presenting Teeny, to them. I mean, it's really what you're presenting them, presenting to, to them, them and allowing yeah. them to experience. Absolutely. So something like that is earth shattering, earth shattering to a child. And even as an adult, like I, I my parents divorced long before I even got out of like childhood. But I see parent or see adults who have parents who separate and they're still they have that like, ooh, oh, 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 but how is this happening? Right. And it's like, but as an adult, we're able to be like, okay, well You can see you can some see of the contributing of the, factors. Yes. Where a child's just like Well, and because so much of the child they, they relate to as being because of them. They assume, therefore, it's because of them that this is happening. And if I was only good enough, exactly, worthy enough, and perfect enough, if I didn't do this, if I did do that, then then this wouldn't be happening. Now, that's just one example. But what happens is, is that this is how most children relate to all of the things that are going on in their lives. So what ends up happening if they're not getting the things that, and they don't even realize that they need things, if they are not happy, then they there's this kind of internalization of these things that are happening or not happening to them as being, it's because I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy of being happy. Or I'm like, there's something wrong with me. And this strikes to the core of our value need. Um, and what ends up happening is that a lot of people try to people please because especially as a child we're dependent on the adults around us to meet our needs for us that's how it works and what can end up happening is that maybe it's not as said like an explicitly abusive situation but maybe it's this oh well this that my in order for my mom and dad to be happy i have to get perfect scores so i'm going to try and get perfect scores to please my parents because when my parents are pleased other needs are going to get met as well because they're going to relate to me in a different way. They're going to relate to me as this, oh, yay, you did this way, congratulations. And that that meets acknowledgement need and it might meet our love and connection need. It might meet our value need. It might meet our emotional experience and expression need. So what ends up happening is that we end up learning that by people pleasing somebody else, that as in by doing something that's going to make somebody else happy, either we get a little boost of the things that we actually really need. We don't realize we need them. We just, we feel better. We basically feel better. And as children, we learn to do more of the things that feel better and less of the things that don't. So if we have something that makes us feel better, we're going to keep doing that over and over and over and over again. So if that thing that makes us feel better is being perfect, is doing things to make sure that mom's happy or dad's happy or grandma's happy or whoever our guardian is, we go the extra mile. We feel good as a result of doing that. But that feeling good is normally that our needs aren't compromised as much as they were. 
our needs aren't met in that situation. They're just no longer that that far compromised. And so what ends up happening is that we get into this, this pattern around this where we're constantly trying to prove ourselves. We're constantly trying to prove that we are good enough to be worthy of being happy, to be worthy of being successful, to be worthy of X, Y, and Z. And one of the ways we try and prove that is because when we are born, we have no ability to meet any of our own needs. So what happens is our parents and guardians come along and for most of us, they try to meet our needs for us. We learn to become dependent on the people around us for getting our needs met. If we don't know how to meet our needs for ourselves, then what we often use as a strategy is we'll try and meet the needs of the people who are around us, not subconsciously, this is not like, oh, I'm a little kid and I know about needs and I'm going to meet mommy's needs because when I meet mommy's needs, she's going to meet my needs. That's not how it works. We just learn that we need the people around us to feel good because we are dependent on them for getting our needs met because we're never taught to do this for ourselves. We continue that dependency even though the people might change we continue that dependency on the people around us and we continue the pattern of people pleasing them to try to feel good about ourselves but the issue we have is that no matter how much we people please other people we've already spoken about how ineffective it is I think it is an episode two no, sorry, three or four um, that we talk about the um, what your needs are, how to go about getting them met, it's possible to meet them for yourself, it's your responsibility to meet them for yourself. We talk about in those episodes the fact that the how problematic it is to be dependent on other people to getting, for getting our needs met because the chance of the other person knowing the way that's going to work for us, that's going to do it when we need it, how we need it, for as long as we need it, to for us to get filled up again, is super unlikely even if they know they're trying to meet our needs. These people who don't know they're trying to meet our needs, the chances of them doing it in a way we're actually going to be consistently filled up. And even if they do, we will still feel dependent on them. And that feeling of dependence on them is going to create a sense of disempowerment. Not again, not a conscious one. We're going to feel like we are like we are dependent on these people around us, which means that we're going to hang on to relationships that maybe aren't healthy for us or maybe aren't supportive for us um, that we could really do with letting go of. Um, but we're also going to have this, there's a pressure in the relationship. And this is where a lot of codependence comes from. It's like we've learned to try to meet other people's needs to try to get our needs met. And we end up in a dynamic with another individual, um, for those of us who are, who are monogamous. And if you have a um, other different form of relationship, a lot of the time, the same thing happens. It's just with multiple people or with different kinds of people that, that all of a sudden it's like, well, I need them to stay around so that I feel good and they need me to stay around so they feel good. So we're all trying to meet everybody else's needs. But in actual fact, everyone's feeling disempowered because we don't have control over our internal resource. Uh, we don't have control over our, our internal fulfillment. We don't have control over, over our internal emotional well-being. All of that is in the hands of the people around us, which is why we do the people pleasing. Because if we people please, then we'll feel a little bit safer about the fact that our well-being is in their hands. And we're talking a lot about kind of the um, the childhood traumas that are surrounded by parental units and growing mm -hmm. up in that way. Parental units. It's funny. I had, I had a friend of mine who literally used to refer to her parents as the parental units. It used to make me smile every single time. Isn't that like an airhead or not airheads, uh, coneheads thing? Could be. It? I Could feel be. like they refer to it as parental units. <laughs> it's not usually a term that I say, but... Trying to get a quick, uh, yeah, <laughs> a quick word. I'm like, all right, that makes, do. that Sorry. makes sense, I guess. You were saying we're, we're um, referring to the parental units, yes. <laughs> um, and I'm gonna give this example, and then I'm gonna put another layer on it, and that's, what are you gonna become when you grow up? 
there are a lot of doctors, lawyers, engineers, CEOs, engineers, like big, big jobs. And not, I mean, every job is important because that's what makes our society work. But I'm talking about those. The professional jobs that require a lot of study and a lot of qualification to be able to do it because you've had that validation of like, yes, you are good enough to do this job. And there are some people who are just drawn to their from the age of two. They're like, I'm going to be a heart surgeon. And that's what they do because that's what they, you know, that's what they love. They love it from within. Mm -hmm. I've met a lot of artists who are lawyers in their spare time because they need a real job. Yeah. And like just... They're, they're following the passion of what they've been told is enough. What is what is going to make them... Quote, unquote, successful. Yeah. like And I, by society standards, like the money, the house, the lifestyle, mm-hmm. the, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It will make them attractive to an op- the opposite sex or the same sex or whoever it is that they're attracted to. So they'll be able to get a partner that... that I mean, all of the things that society says is success. And we have got an upcoming podcast episode where we're going to talk about what our definition of success is, which is completely different. Um, but yeah, it's all of those things that they think will put you in that that success frame. Won't make somebody fulfilled, but it will create cultural success. And again, because a lot of these people have learned to, to see their value based on how other people see their value. So the parents are passing on oh, I need everybody else to see me as valuable and successful in order for me to feel valuable and successful. So my child is going to need to do the same thing and this is how they're going to do it. The other layer to put on that is, um, first, I want to say, we've said it before, we will say it again, you are enough and you are worthy simply because you exist. Say it again. You are enough and you are worthy simply because you exist. Pause. Take a moment to absorb that if you're listening right now. One more time. You are enough and you are worthy simply because you exist. Carry on. (laughs) Marginalized communities and children who grow up in marginalized Mm -hmm. um, communities face another kind of trauma that some people with privilege, I would say most people with privilege in that. People with people with relative privilege will, will not experience the same those same traumas. That that's just a fact. And a lot of times, these children are given the message through society, through what they're experiencing, that I'm not wanted in this world. I'm not valuable. Yeah, and I'm not going to say some, all of them, like all are viewed that way. There was actually an experiment that that was done. Uh, many, many years ago um, that was then repeated, I think, by some Italian scientists, um, even, like still many years ago, but more recent many years ago, um, in which what they did was they um, they showed um, a group of different children individually um, different dolls. And one was a white doll and one was a black doll. And they asked them questions like, which is the nice doll? Which is the evil doll? I don't think, I'm sure evil was the word they were used or the, the bad doll. Um, which was the um, the pretty doll and which was the not, which was the the one that was not pretty. And especially when you like there's I'll share the video to this underneath this um, uh, in the show notes for this podcast, because 
when you watch there's a there's a uh, there's a little black girl who um she i think i, I can't remember what you, what word they use whether they use the word ugly or whatever um like ask, they ask her which is the ugly doll and she points to the black doll and then they ask her which is the doll that looks like you and she realizes that she is the one that all of these negative things are associated with. And it doesn't matter what the what race the child is, they have all taken on that messaging that they are less valuable, that there are certain words are associated. There's also a, 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 a TED talk, which I recommend watching. I think it's by David R. Williams called Why Racism is Making Us Sick. Again, I will put the, um, the link in the show notes where he talks about in the media how different words are associated with different um, races. So when the word white is used in the media, there's a word cloud of the words or I think there's a list of the words that he um, that are associated that are most commonly associated in mainstream media with white. And there's a list of words that are most commonly associated with black. And so even like irrespective of what your upbringing is the messaging that everybody is getting and this is just one of the uh, one of the forms of oppression and marginalization that we're speaking about here we're obviously speaking about race in this context but when you look at that and you see that everybody is receiving the same messages that these people are uh, are are better and these people are worse whether we're talking about attractiveness whether we're talking about morally whether we're talking about what have you when you look at who is represented and who is not represented on our tv screens inherently we're showing who is valuable because those are the people who are being shown they're those people who we people are saying we want to see on our tv screens um when you look at the difference um between the number of thinner people and the number of fat people who are seen on screens and how are they talked about when they're on screens? How are they, how are they um, valued or devalued in context when you are seeing them? And this is the thing is that we're all getting these messages. So when you are somebody who lives in one of those, uh, who is part of one of those marginalized groups, you have an additional layer of I am not valuable, I am not worthy, I am not wanted. Then when you sit at the intersection of multiple of those marginalizations, so if for example, you are a trans woman who is disabled and overweight, you get multiple of these layers that's on it. And so this is the reason we talk about equity and interconnectedness being so important to this work because we are not living in an equitable society uh, when it comes to meeting of needs. This is a great example thereof, where it's like everybody, everybody is experiencing these traumas. That's that's just the the reality. We've ex all experienced them to a greater or lesser extent. But when you have a level of marginalisation that is amplified, and I'm not just talking about oh it's kind of doubled. It is orders of magnitude more for somebody who is from a marginalised community. Then you have like, multiple intersections of marginalisation. It's like mind blowing how much work has to be done to get those value needs met and how many people in those marginalized communities will take on people pleasing. They will try to be um, the, um, the, the perfect person of that race or size or um, uh, class or um, sexuality or what have you to try to, um, to, to try to be perceived as valuable because again, the perception is, is that how other people perceive our value is where our value lies. And that's one of the things that when it comes to this piece of work, I mean, firstly, if you know how to meet all of your own needs for a start, this kind of pressure for other to make other people happy so that you're, they will meet your needs immediately diminishes. 
like it melts away melts away because we still live in a red culture we still live in a culture where this conditioning is present so it it's we're still around it all the time and that's part of the reason that when we talk about equity and interconnectedness we need to try and change the system for everybody's benefit because even if you've done this work i've done this work even if you have been in this work for a long period of time these habits and patterns we see all the time and so those that, that there's like a tendency to be like oh hold on oh no no I've got to bring myself back again meet my needs again it's very easy to get sucked back into these different ways of being which is why we want to change the culture around us so that we don't get there's nothing to get sucked back to, back into in fact we are living in a culture which is going to support everybody in getting their needs met including the people who are marginalized uh, from marginalized groups and the people from marginalized groups they they are the priority because they have more to overcome in order to get these needs met in that comment that i just made of gone like yeah for me it might be gone in the moment, moment. but that's yeah. the bigger picture is that just because it's gone for me in my little bubble of privilege right now, yeah that that doesn't mean that it's not an issue. So thank you for... And I know that there are some times still where your people pleasing does still come. Like it rears oh, its yeah. ugly head and it's like, oh, hello, remember me? Mm -hmm. It's like, fuck off. I thought we'd done with you. But right. no, because we are in this culture, it's so easy for us to... Um, Certain things will trigger and all of a sudden yes. you don't realize you've been triggered and you fall back into this pattern. And it's, mm -hmm. there was a time where I'd be like, oh, how, how could you be so dumb, Serena? Like in almost doing that negative self-talk. And now it's like... All right. Well, what what just led to me doing that? Okay. Right. Well, that was this need. Let me meet that need. Let's get this moment situated, and then for next time, let me just realize that's a trigger of mine. Let me keep meeting that need. Let and me also do the healing around that trigger so that it no longer provides that much of a trigger. And lifelong journey for all of us. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is, is that if we generally know how to meet all of our own needs and do so consistently, this kind of sense of urgency or internal pull to get other people to do it and therefore to do things that are going to make other people happy so that they're going to be more likely to do it diminishes massively, diminishes massively. The second thing is that specifically with the value need, and this is a very big one, specifically with the value need is taking time to meet this need but also getting internally referenced for this need i mean it's important to get internally referenced for all of our needs and what i mean by that is that we are doing this for ourselves and we are prioritizing how we feel about it not where the systemic um perception of our value is not where other people not even not like you got the systemic perception we've also got the personal interpersonal perception it's like I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I like it if Serena thinks that I'm a valuable human being, but I don't need her to because mm -hmm. I know I'm a valuable human being and how I feel about my value is way more important than even Serena's perception of my value. Just think of how a lot of people will introduce other people, whether it's family members or friends. And a lot of times they're like, oh, they're a doctor or they're a lawyer. And a lot of times if there is one of those positions, that's the first thing you learn about them because that makes them in some perceived way mm -hmm. better more successful like it's lead we, we call it leading with credentials mm -hmm. like it's like here's here's who i am with the business card being thrust into the into the foreground and it's like no, that's what you do. I'd like to know who you are. And that's a very different conversation. Now, sometimes you can have that, but the thing, but Serena's right, is that when somebody is doing that, it's normally because they believe that they are going to be perceived as more valuable if somebody knows what they do. The interesting thing is, a lot of people don't know what I do for quite some time when they first meet me. And I'm like, if, if it comes up in conversation, I'll share about it, obviously. But most people don't know what I do because... 
I don't need to talk about what I do all the time because I don't need you to see me in a certain way. Most people think I just have a cute little podcast. Right. They're like, oh, wait, you have a business? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Here, Here's the information. Check it out. Absolutely. The next time you forget that I do something besides a cute little podcast, we'll have the same conversation. <laughs> and that's cool because I no longer need to be like, yes, this is all the things I'm doing. These are all the things I know. Oh, and that's I so used, amazing. And I used to be like mm-hmm. a just, oh, you showed a little bit interesting. Here's blah, here's blah, blah, all blah. of it. Yeah. Here's all of it. Am I great? Do you think I'm great? I think I'm great. Oh, you don't think I'm – should I – oh, I don't know if they think I'm great. And then you start this – just rabbit hole spiral. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that's important to mention around this is that when we're in people pleasing, but we're doing it because we are feeling dependent on these other people to get our needs met and because we don't know any other way of meeting our needs. And that's the other thing is that when we talk about all of this stuff, a lot of us, we don't know any other way of meeting our needs. So it's not a criticism that you're not doing it a different way. We just don't know yet. If you're listening right now, you are immediately ahead of the curve of the majority of people because you're starting to learn about this. But so often we don't realize that we're dependent on other people. And we don't realize that our dependency on other people has us people pleasing. And because we don't realize that, but we don't really have another choice in how to do it because we don't know any other way of getting our needs met. If we're not in choice, that's also going to negatively impact our personal power need because our personal power is directly linked to our ability to take responsibility and have conscious choice. If we're not able to choose, it's like, I don't feel like I've got it. So I'm thinking about an example where it's like, if somebody asks you to do something and you really don't want to do it, but you feel like you don't have a choice, a lot of the times that can be a people-pleasing indicator because it's like, oh, I have to do this thing for this person to like me because if this person doesn't like me, they may like move away in terms of our friendship. They may, they may create some distance. They may not do the things that I want them to do when I want them to do them. And that then becomes, that's that's a, a kind of very like um, slippery slope mm-hmm. as far as this sort of thing is concerned. And a lot of people will be like, oh, well, you always, you always have choice and refer to it in that situation. It's like, well, I can either choose to do what they want and knowingly or unknowingly if you aren't aware of it be a people pleaser or I can choose to not do it and have all of these unmet needs that are like if you don't do this this is like it's going to be me it's going to be me it's going to be me yeah and I'm also going to jump in on this because it's very easy I and I hear a lot of people in personal development being like you always have a choice uh, like you have a choice in how you respond to something it's like if somebody else is the sole reason that you are getting your survival needs met and you have no other way of getting those needs met, that's not really a choice. Mm -hmm. Because if it's choice between survival and non-survival, that's really the only choice that you have um, in those situations. And yes, we wanna get to the point where we're choosing how we're responding to those situations in at at that layer. But ultimately, if we we are responsible, so um, for example, um, it's kind of a weird example, I don't know why I'm going here, but apparently I am, Um, that if you imagine like somebody who has um, stolen some food, for example, and it's not in alignment with their values, they don't want to be stealing food, but if they don't steal food, they literally are not going to eat, they are not going to survive. Is that really choice? Like, not really. They don't really have a choice in that situation. Now, there might have been there might be other things they may be able to do to take other options, but in that moment, there may not there may not be any other options. And it's so easy to kind of go in, especially when you have privilege, to be like, oh yeah, you always have choice. You always have a choice mm-hmm. in how you respond to things. For a person with ten dollars in their wallet at all times, you may have choice. Mm-hmm. The person who doesn't who has negative no. fifty in their bank account 
and doesn't know how they're going to eat that night. They may not. They have, may not have a choice in yeah. that moment. And there may be more they can do to move themselves in a direction where they will have choice. But in that moment, they may not. What they're doing is coping. Yes, absolutely. They're coping to survive. And it's important to remember that, that mm-hmm. a lot of the times that we are meeting our needs in a red spectrum way or not meeting them at all, it's because we're trying to cope. It's not, I would say, yes, if we're meeting them in a red spectrum way, if we're not meeting them at all, that's actually coping. It's more like it's, I would say, if they're meeting, if they're being met in a red spectrum way or if they're masking, masking Mm -hmm. the needs is like a way of coping um, as opposed to not meeting them. I don't think that's a a coping strategy necessarily, but Mm -hmm. I agree, definitely red spectrum and um, coping. And the other thing is, is like if you are somebody, for example, who is um, like, this comes up a lot of the time. Uh, By the way, I just want to say, this is the reason that there was a meme that went around recently, which I see periodically. And I'm like, yes, that Uh, is like, if you see somebody stealing food, no, you didn't ever. And I'm like, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, So I'm like, I'm just kind of throwing that out there as something to consider. Um, But the other thing is that if you think, a lot of the time this comes up is, um, is in these like domestic abuse situations where it's like, well, why didn't you just leave? Like you had a choice to stay. It's like, if you are dependent on that, that person for your financial well-being, your food, the roof over your head. One, that's a reason it might not be a, you might not have the choice to leave. Um, and that's the thing is that it's so interesting. Like so many people think about choice and consent as being these things that it's, it's, it's a clear cut, it's given or it's not. If somebody else is, is the sole reason you're going to get your survival needs met, actually you're not necessarily able to give consent. You're not able to say, to make a choice. If you think about it, the other thing is that a lot of people do not feel safe to leave because if they leave, they're, I mean, security need is up because the, of the potential threat of violence, but their foundation function, like if there is a threat that they're going to be killed for doing so, that's not a choice. Like, they don't, like they're not in a place where it's like, oh, I could choose this and I could choose that. And it's like, well, you don't know whether that's going to happen. The amount of examples where this does happen, you have to consider that in those situations. And so it's really important to recognize that, again, the places where we think people have choice versus where if they are dependent on somebody else for getting their, their foundation function needs met, i.e. if I'm going to leave, they're going to kill me. If I'm going to um, leave, I'm not safe because I'm at the threat of violence. Or if I leave, I have no way of having a roof over my head, um, um, uh, eating food. I mean, it's interesting. Like A lot of people talk about how, oh, I'm, in generations past, like people stuck it out. They didn't leave and have divorced and, and marriage and they didn't leave relationships and blah, blah, blah. Women couldn't own a credit card. I think it was until 1973. Um, like they couldn't have a mortgage they couldn't own property like a lot of them were and a lot of them were not getting hired for many many years because they weren't valued in the workforce well if you've got no way of having a roof over your head and no way of feeding yourself and potentially your children as well is that a choice to stay I don't think so so we need to start thinking about this and so often in those situations the people pleasing is I'm trying to keep this person happy so that they won't make my life miserable um, or compromise my needs even further. And one of the ways that we are, um, we've talked a lot about, you know, the different things that relate into people pleasing and why people do it, but how can we start to kind of shift that, you know, that behavior and that conditioning? And um, one I'm of the ways- I'm gonna jump in before you come to the one that you're gonna come to. All right. Is uh, the one of the ways is actually learning to meet your own needs. That is the first and primary way of 
of shifting out of this people-pleasing behavior. Because this next one that we're going to talk about is true in certain situations, but we've been talking in some situations in which it is not true. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to caveat that. So the one thing that is universally applicable in this is learning how to meet your own needs and creating a... That's the reason when people are leaving dangerous home situations, they they don't say just, just leave. They're like, try and put together like a go bag, like see if you can get some money, see if you've got somewhere to go, see if you've got a roof over your head. So it's like, what are the things that you can start to do to take, and I'm not suggesting, we're not experts on this in any way, shape or form. So if you are looking um, to do that, if you're in that situation, you're looking to do that, get some advice from people who are experts in this area as to how to do it in as safe as a way as possible. So that's the first thing to say. Um, but look at how you can start to try to meet these needs for yourself and get on the path to meeting these needs for yourself. Because the more you're on the path to meeting those needs for yourself, the less dependent you're going to feel on these other people and the less those people pleasing tendencies will take over. If they are in place in order to keep you safe, that is you prioritizing your survival needs. That's okay as a coping mechanism. And at the same time, let's look and see if there is a way that you could be trying to um, find ways of meeting those needs through other means. So that's the first thing I wanted to say. So meet your needs. Meet your needs, basically. That's the first That's the first thing. Um, well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know it sounds pretty generic, but it is true. Like it, it is, is. I mean, Yeah, I mean, the, the next part doesn't really tell if you're not meeting your needs to begin with. I mean, it can, but yeah. if you pair them together, mm-hmm. that's and, where the power is. And so... and. And the thing is that if you are meeting your needs, it makes implementing this other thing, which is actually another way of meeting your needs, um, easier to apply because no longer are you going to feel so concerned about doing it. So do you want to jump in and share the suggestion that you have? Boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. Say it again. Boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. Yeah. It's all about boundaries. <laughs> it's and boundaries. The, and obviously depending on the circumstances. Yes. And like, so this is why it's so hard to do this on a podcast because – like giving a general podcast about people pleasing where we're going to cover, which applies to so many different topics. There are some that this does not apply to. Mm-hmm. And there are some when it does, like when you are somebody who is just in a, in a pattern where you maybe are feeling insecure about your value because of how you, your needs were not met as a child in the way that you would have needed them to, in order to be fulfilled and to be secure, then boundaries are a way that you can start to take some of that power back. But if you learn how to meet your needs first, it makes pretty boundaries down with other people easier because sometimes the fear is well if I put the boundary down they're going to disappear and I'm going to have no way to meet my needs because I'm dependent on them meeting your needs if you know how to meet your needs first you can then start to put boundaries down because boundaries will actually get close help you to get closer with the people who are the the supportive people to have in your life and by learning how to meet your needs you'll be able to start implementing those boundaries and saying no at times because saying no is a boundary mm-hmm. um to the the requests uh, that come from other people that aren't going to feel in alignment with you. Anything else you want to share about your favorite topic? I thought we weren't talking about Larry today. Oh, come on. You had to see it going there. Anything you want to share about boundaries, boundaries, boundaries? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, A couple of things that have helped me in my journey. The first, boundaries boundaries are a little bit like scary at first mm-hmm. because we're not really used to like we're told throughout our, our lives boundaries well at least in the last like 10 years I feel like boundaries have been coming up where it's more of a oh this could be a, helpful <laughs> a universal type of um tool yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> something helpful yeah yeah um seen as a in a positive light not a negative light I think that's the, yes. the shift that's happened in the last 10 years or so 
And there's a lot of people who student, still don't understand exactly what boundaries are and they do. And how supportive they can and be. And how supportive they can be. Um, so there's often when you set a boundary, there's often a lot of pushback because it's scary for the other person too. Like, oh shit, what is this person doing all of a sudden telling me no? What after? do you mean no? Right. Like yeah. you don't tell me no. Like, and that can be in any, any relationship. Right. Um, I first want to say before I forget it. When you're meeting your needs consistently, and as Claire said, the first step is meeting your needs and kind of processing through this stuff. You mm-hmm. need to start the process of healing and um, healing so that you can release. But also, once you start doing that and putting in boundaries with your needs being better met, it starts creating the ding, ding, dings that we often talk about, where setting a boundary will meet one need and another and another and another yeah. and another. And you're like, Oh, wow. Saying no just did so much for me. Yes. (laughs) So I wanted to mention that because that layering is something that you don't often see until you get a little bit deeper into the program because you're really realizing what needs are being met by it. Mm -hmm. But it is a really, really cool feeling when you're like, oh, I got a ding, ding, ding. (laughs) (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. Oh, hi. Yeah. Um, But some suggestions that have kind of helped me in my process is the first, start with boundaries with yourself. I'm going to go, I'm going to suggest you make, you, you'd speak to the first one, the one that's above that, that we're talking about. Because even with yourself. Start small. Yes. Start small. Small, itty bitty. Small, doable, like seem, seeming like they're easy because the easy ones that will get you into the habit that will then make it easier. I agree definitely about doing it with yourself, yes. but even with yourself, start, start small. small. Yeah. Start easy. Start simple. Simple. And I want to almost say like, even if it's starting with something seemingly insignificant, mm-hmm. if you're setting a boundary with yourself, that's not an insignificant thing. Like, kudos to you for doing it. And the fact it feels insignificant will mean it's easier, which means it will get you into the habit of doing it. And so doing it over something that maybe doesn't feel quite as a charge to begin with is a great place to start. Like, if it's a very weird example. Um, there's going to be no... Um, question about what I'm thinking about right now let's say at night you tend to eat cookies and it's like you know what I'm actually not going to eat cookies after nine I have cookies we can have cookies yes. after. Sorry, you're good. um <laughs> now you don't have to hear about cookies for the rest of these recordings um so nine o'clock you're always eating cookies after nine and you're like you know what I don't want to do that anymore I'm going to set a boundary with myself I'm not going to eat any cookies after nine mm-hmm Eight fifty nine. I may shove a cookie into my mouth, but after nine, no. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also things like uh, like time boundaries mm-hmm. around things that it's like, oh god, it's not a life or death if I if I don't if if, if it doesn't happen. That doesn't mean to say it's okay to break it because you're 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 starting mm-hmm. to create this communication with yourself around this is not okay this is okay and here's how I'm doing it. I'm setting this boundary but if you set that boundary I, I was interesting like I was actually thinking about another example about uh, about night it was like I'd like to be in bed by ten o'clock. Mm-hmm. Like, it's probably not the end of the world if you're in bed by 10, 15, which is part of the reason it's easier because you can then go, actually, there's no pressure around this, but it's a good way to start to create that. And it's like, if if, if you're consistently like, oh, I'm at 10, 15, I'm 10, 15, then it's like, I want to be in bed no later than 10, 30. And then you can start to work it backwards to be like, actually, let's now do 10, 20. Now let's do 10, 10. Like, so you can work your, you can start to move your boundaries, create consistency with the boundary to begin with, practice with something that's easier, and then start to move it in the direction of the things that will feel more supportive. The next step is going to be to 
then start to apply this with your close people because your close people are the ones that you can often um, make mistakes with and the ones who are really going to support you want to do it with the people who are going to support you yeah. that un and that understand even what if you're it doing. might feel like it's slight inconvenience to them oh that was hard for me at the beginning mm -hmm. like said about I'm like oh oh I know this isn't gonna work for you and if I do it it's well, really not gonna work for me and the thing about it is like it's maybe that not that it it's not that it doesn't work for you but it may not work exactly the way you want it to in actual fact, it probably does work for the other person. It's just not ideal. And mm -hmm. it's okay if it's not ideal, but you're right. Your closest people will be like, ah, well, I'm a little disappointed by that. And if that's what you need to do for yourself, you have my support 100%. I had to say one of the keys for me in my people pleaser uh, stage, I felt I needed to do everything. Everything somebody asked of me, I'm like, yes, okay. You want to go out this night? Uh, yeah, I don't have anything to do. Yeah. And... It was pressure. I mean, it was pressured. I was doing things I didn't want to do just mm -hmm. to please the people because I didn't want to say say no. Yeah. And what really helped me was implementing the generalized placeholder. Didn't matter yeah. who you were, what the day was, what I knew was or wasn't going on. Can you? No. <laughs> That's not the placeholder. <laughs> it, it was, I had, I was, my placeholder was, uh, I can't commit to that right now. Um, let me check my calendar. And if I'm able to, I'll get back to you. So what that did was it first said it was a really polite no. It, it, and that's <laughs> it gave me the it also gave me the option to be like actually if I find that this does serve me I can say I can, yes. I can say yes yeah. if it still works within the parameters of whatever I was saying no to. Mm -hmm. And I also, if you noticed at the end, I kind of put a little thing on it that's like, if I can do it, I'll get back in touch with you so that there's no pressure like, oh, I have to circle back with them. It's like, no, in that one little place. And also, they're not going to chase you in the, I mean, they may follow up, they may check in, but it's going to lower the chance of them coming back because you've said you will get proactively in contact with them. And it doesn't leave it ambiguous, yes. I'm, 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 ambiguous. ambiguous, apparently, or ambiguous <laughs> even. Uh, it doesn't leave it ambiguous which might mean the person would like oh I'm just gonna check like the you saying I'm gonna contact you again it, it lightens the pressure which is exactly what we want and that you can do you can just say I'm gonna start doing that and you can just start doing it with everybody like right. and it's right now right now and once yeah. you start doing it it's like I started with Claire because it was my person mm -hmm. and I'm like all right let's see how this works and it wasn't like I'm setting boundaries it's like no I'm gonna start using the placeholder uh let me get back to you on that one mm -hmm. or you know whatever my placeholder was and then all of a sudden I'm doing it at work I'm doing it with my husband and I'm doing it for everybody else's plans and I'm like it becomes super easy it becomes easy and it becomes so like your internal personal power because you're needing meeting that need and you're giving yourself so much opportunity for yeah. choice within a situation that I used to feel that I didn't have any choice in. It's like, oh, like it just, <laughs> I mean. Yes to that. Yeah, like it feels like just talking about, it's one of those things, like I, I talk about setting boundaries and I'm like, yeah, let's do Watch this. Watch out, she's gonna so, hit the mic. I was gonna say, she's getting excited, <laughs> the arms are flailing. Somebody asked me to do something, I'm telling you no in a nice way. 
So we were going to give a couple more examples, but I think like we are, we're, we're kind of over time today. So I think let's call it for now and we will circle back. I mean, we'll come back to these examples. There'll be another podcast that they will fit into without question. Well, and we have two more in this series. Exactly. So we we'll can. never see. It might, <laughs> might fit into one of those. Um, but I think that's kind of it for today. Is there anything you want to finish up with? No, I want to get on to the next one. Oh, okay. Apparently we're heading <laughs> on to the next one. So um, I'm thanks. excited. Yeah, this is, this is good stuff. And it's so, like, it's for people who, I was a people pleaser for a very, very long time. Oh my God. Like there's like I, I, this feeling I can breathe now in a way that I couldn't because of the pressure that I felt under in order to do things in a certain way. So it's, it's a big, it's uh it's a big, makes a big difference. So um, I'm super excited as well to, say, to share our next episode. So come and join us again next time, but thank you for being with us. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching and remember to take care of yourself, stay safe. And between now and next time to remember to keep meeting your own needs. Lots of love. Bye, friends. That's it for today. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and give us a written review. As it will help more people find us. And remember, the first step in shifting people-pleasing is learning to meet your own needs. Well, shit. It really is that simple.